Welcome to episode 543 of the Entertainment 2.0 podcast brought to you by the digitalmediazone.com. I'm Josh Pollard. And I'm Richard Gunther. And this is the show that puts you in control of your favorite movies, music, shows, and games. And Richard, we're back two weeks in a row. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, I guess it's the second week of December. Mm-hmm. And we actually still have news to talk about, which mm-hmm. is kind of weird. It is. But, but good. And we have listener feedback, like a bunch. Yeah. I feel like it goes in waves, like when we guilt people enough. Right. And they start sending us feedback. So these were all sent in uh, either using our contact form over at the digitalmediazone.com or just directly at entertainment20 at the digitalmediazone.com. I caught that zero. I caught that caught that extra pronunciation of the zero there. That was mm-hmm. a mock at me. I know it. It's important. No, it's just being clear. Okay. All right. That's fair. Let's first go through a message from Justin. And I will apologize to Justin that I abbreviated this because we had a lot of messages and we shortened some of them. So Justin says, listening to a recent episode, you were talking about smart TVs, getting apps for Xbox streaming, or maybe a streaming stick. Whilst I prefer the latter, treating the TV as a dumb box and putting the smarts on other devices, my thoughts are more around the implementation of the service rather than the hardware. Assuming I have the appropriate devices, I'd love to see them make the app or stick. Firstly, check if there's an unused Xbox in the house capable of playing the game. And then if there is, stream from that in preference to cloud streaming, more of a local first approach. This could then up the ante when you take your stick and controller with you on holiday. Not that I would ever do that, but some people would. Hmm. Josh, you think he's talking about you? Yeah, totally talking about me there. And if your connection is suitable, how about a pop-up? We noticed you have XYZ installed on your home system. Would you prefer to stream from that or the cloud? This could then allow people to bypass any wait times for cloud hardware and stream off their own device if the connection is up to snuff. I like this idea. I like it a lot. And it it kind of brings in one of my complaints. Like I so I love the cloud streaming idea. I also love that with the Xbox app on a PC or on Android, although I think this might actually work on iOS too, but I can't remember. You can you can stream from your local Xboxes already. Like if I'm at my computer, I could stream a game from my Xbox Series X in the other room. Totally works. It, it's already there. It's been on the Xbox for years. But when it comes to cloud streaming, I have a limited library of games that I can stream. It, it's just basically what they provide. And it's basically just games that are already in Game Pass. And so while I love Justin's idea, the other thing that I want to add on to this is if I want to stream Call of Duty, let me do that. You know that I own the game because I purchased it digitally. So let me stream anything that I own digitally from Project X Cloud also. Mm. That's what I want. While, <laughs> while we're throwing out wish list items to, to Microsoft here. <laughs> yeah, I like that too. That's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, thank you, Justin. On to a message from Rob W. Because we have two Robs this week. He says, I hope all is well, gents. When I heard Richard's micro rant in episode 542 about Netflix content being removed 
from the Google TV interface and how everyone should just get on board to make the user experience better, I had a flashback to my Windows phone days and how I loved their hubs concept. The oh, me, yeah. yeah. The me and people hubs aggregated all of the relevant posts from all of my social media accounts into one place. It surfaced relevant information that I should pay attention to, and I could respond directly from there. The pictures hub did the same for photos from my apps and social networks. Hubs were a fantastic concept that deprecated the need to go into each separate app and let you see exactly what you really wanted to really quickly. And that's why they failed. Because the app makers didn't want you skipping their front ends where they can display ads, collect data, and sell you other services. I suspect Netflix wants to keep showing you previews of their 50 plus new shows every month. And they can't do that if you're not going into their app and browsing around. Just my thought. Love the show, guys. I think Rob's totally right. Oh, he's totally right. Absolutely. Yeah. This is very likely what's going on because if if they don't have you in their environment then they feel like they're missing an opportunity even if they branded your viewing experience which please don't do that i i like this is the one area where we're not encumbered by lower thirds all the time with animation and other annoying things but even if they did that there's still nothing that would draw you into everything else they have to offer. And, and that's what they want to do, understandably. This is something that Paul over at Apple Weekly, oh, sorry, I mean, on Windows Weekly, talks about all the time where this really was one of the best features of Windows Phone, that they figured out a way of making the content centric to you and the type of content as opposed to the source that you had to go to get to it. And that's what all these discovery engines are trying to do. Netflix is only in this position because they're number one. They're only in this position to throw their weight around and decide that they're not going to play because they have the best discovery engine out there and they have the leading service that everybody wants right now. So, you know, it, it puts them in what I might argue to be somewhat of a monopolistic stance, even though there's lots of competition here. They are. You know, they're basically calling the shots. Yeah, yeah. And and just to be real clear here, I think Rob W. is right, and I think he's way more right than the theory that we proposed last week, which was, this is all about money. They want a better deal. I, I think that he's right here. They want you in their app. That makes more sense for them. Yep. All right, well, our next message is from Rob, who was also a little bit concerned. This is Rob Z, also a little bit concerned about what I was saying about Netflix, and I'll clarify that in just a little bit. But he says, you scared me when you announced Netflix. Again, I abbreviated this because we have a lot of messages that when you announced Netflix has been taken off Google TV. I've listened to you since Adam. I followed your direction to build a Windows 7 media center, too, in fact, and they still work perfectly. But after your excitement and description of the great deal of getting a Chromecast with $80 off of Netflix? I took the plunge. I have Netflix and only recently stopped getting discs. Yes, they still mail discs. Then came your news on the demise of Netflix on Chromecast. I raced home to find Netflix still ensconced on my Chromecast in perfect working order. So, was this fake news? No, this was not fake news. So, 
Uh, before we wrap this up, what I will say is that I, I want to clarify that it's not that they're taking Netflix off of Google Chromecast or even that they're taking Netflix content off of Google Chromecast. What they're doing is they are not allowing Google, the Google TV experience to surface Netflix original content. So if you're using the new Google TV interface, which is fantastic as a means of finding recommendations and looking for content across all the different services, you will not find Netflix originals in that content that they're showing. And you will not be permitted to add Netflix original shows to your list of things that you want to watch. And it's not just Netflix originals. It's anything on Netflix. No, that's not true. So if they have context, if they have content from third party providers like TV series and stuff like that, that they did not produce, that still shows up in the interface. I verified this myself. But does it show up as being playable in Netflix? Yes. Okay. That wasn't working on the Android app. That's where I tested it. Okay. It, it is absolutely working on the Google TV. Huh. Weird. Okay. Yeah. So. I mean, yeah. Uh, anyway, that that's to clarify that. Um, sorry to panic anyone if I wasn't <laughs> clear about that. So, yeah. Uh, but for the record, I just wanted to mention that Rob went on and uh, pretty much described that he agreed with nearly all of my entertainment center picks. He might not have said it quite that way, but I mean, that's what I got out of it. No, I, I think that's that's pretty a pretty fair. Uh... Re rephrasing of that <laughs> yeah our our last message is from ken and ken is also a long time listener going back to 2010 and he's i mean he's not quite as cool as rob z because ken uses sage tv instead of windows Media Center. Oh, i'm like dude where are you going with that <laughs> don't you remember those wars 10 years ago when we would constantly battle about what was better uh, Windows Media Center's beautiful UI or Sage TV's like far more uh, it, it, it had developer designed. <laughs> sure, but it was a lot more customizable. That yes. that was the thing that the people loved about Sage. Yes, 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 absolutely. So now that I'm done making fun of uh, Ken, I want to thank him because he he's really the cause for our featured story this week. He tipped us off to the fact that Silicon Dust is selling. The HD Home Run Prime 3 again. What? Richard, when is the last time you saw the Prime 3 available for sale? <laughs> it was many years ago. Many years ago. Because we know that they ran out of equipment and couldn't find providers for the hardware that made that box work. So apparently they found some somewhere? Like... Cleaning out a storage unit? I have no idea where they found uh, uh, whatever it is that they've done here. But if you go over to the HD Home Run website, which we, of course, have a link to in the show notes, or you can go to the post that we have about it on, on the website, it's there. And they've even got a special on it right now. It normally retails for $199. They've got a $50 coupon code that you can apply. The code is PRIME2020. And so that means $150 for a Prime 3 that's brand new. 
and you get free shipping. So you don't even need to like go out and be trying to find a used one on eBay anymore or anything like that. Like you can just get a new one with a one year warranty. Yep. It's already in my garage. <laughs> you already purchased one. I already That's purchased awesome. it and it already arrived. Yep. Nice. Absolutely. I want a backup. So you, you're just going to use it as a backup. You're not yep. hooking it up right now. Okay. Okay, cool. Okay, so this is all good, but I kind of feel like we buried the lead here. Yeah, maybe just a little bit. This is kind of, it, we kind of went back and forth on on what's the actual featured story here. But the the other bad news is, because there's bad news to this story, is while we were digging into this announcement, we discovered the Prime 6 has been canceled. Surprise! Surprise! Come on. This can't be a surprise. surprise. It's not a surprise. Actually, I went back and I listened to Entertainment 2.0 episode 533, (laughs) which was largely about uh, the Xbox One Series S. But we also talked about the FCC basically told cable companies that they don't need to provide a cable card anymore. Right. And you, Richard, brought up, well... I think we can pretty much write off the Prime 6 at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So this honestly comes as no surprise. I think this is the inevitable move. It gives them a product that answers the needs of many of their customers that have been asking for this without having to spend engineering dollars on a new product that has an incredibly short life at this point for some people like this not required to support cable card thing means that some providers will some providers won't other providers will probably be in some sort of limbo when it becomes more like what it used to be like to get a cable card (laughs) so i think i think overall this is the right business move for them as a longtime customer of silicon dust i'm okay with this disappointed but okay yeah i i think i'm in the same place uh you know if, if we were to have made it to ces 2021 that would be the three-year anniversary of the announcement of the prime six and to still not have it has really you know left left kind of a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths i mean basically every single article that we've done about silicon dust since the Prime 6 was announced, has led to comments saying, but what about the Prime 6? <laughs> right. So right. we've we finally got some clarity now. We've got an answer. It's not the answer we wanted, but I agree. It's the answer that makes the most sense. Fortunately, uh, ki- kind of mixed in at the same time that we got a little bit of good news. Yeah. Overall, I, I'd say it's a win. It's a small win. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's good news either way. It's maybe some of the best news we're getting at the end of the year uh, as COVID numbers rise and all of the other insanity that 2020 has brought us. Here is a small little tidbit of good news at the end of the year. Wait, I have good news. Our first video story is largely good news for us anyway. Right. (laughs) Not so much for the theaters. So it's probably old news for a lot of people by now, but the big blockbuster surprise at the end of the week last week was that Warner Brothers announced they are releasing all of their 2021 
theatrical movie releases simultaneously in theaters and on HBO Max to all HBO Max subscribers. No additional cost involved there, like Disney did with the Mulan release. Right. This is big. This is, they have some big titles coming next year. They have Dune. They have a, another, I didn't even know this was happening, but another episode of the Matrix movies. They have Tom and Jerry, which is sure to be a good kid's hit. They have Godzilla versus Kong. They have, for some reason, yet another Mortal Kombat movie coming out. I think that's the next one. I think that's in January. This is just a handful of all the titles that they have coming out next year. There's a lot of stuff. Not surprisingly, AMC's CEO is not happy. And I'm usually one to mock people who start making threats about losing their sacred business model as other people in the industry change their business models. And so I kind of feel that way right now about this. He's busy threatening that, well, we're not going to take this standing by, you know, not his words exactly, but threatening talk in terms of deals with these providers. And look, this is what it is. This is a company making a decision to move forward with their content. And you know, this is a huge loss for AT&T. This is a huge, huge loss for them financially, but they're going to do it anyway. Do we know that though? I don't know that we actually know that. If everybody that was going to see these movies, even just one of these movies, buys HBO Max, maybe they break even. If they watch a bunch of these movies and they watch it with their family, there's no breaking even there. There's just no breaking even. But you're you're also kind of basing that on the assumption that m- that a large number of people are going to choose to watch these movies at home instead of going to theaters. Yes, I and am. I'm not convinced that's a safe assumption. I think that's a safe assumption for the next six months. For the next six months, yes. And so that does cover Mortal Kombat, um, but it doesn't cover Dune. It doesn't cover The Matrix 4. Those are both second half of the year movies. And I think we're all fairly hopeful that second half of next year, life is starting to look a little bit more normal least in this country um and people love going to movies man like i'm super excited about the matrix 4 and i'm super excited about fast and furious 10 i know that's not the same studio here but i want to see those in theater and i've got you know a nice tv and i've got a nice sound system at home but i still would rather see them in the theater and a lot of people want to see movies in the theaters for the social experience of it. I agree with that. I think that perspective is very optimistic. <laughs> I don't think, I, I, let me say this differently. I think a majority of people will still feel uncomfortable going to movies in the latter half of next year. And keep in mind, stuff is changing almost daily in terms of how as a country and as a global society, we're dealing with this pandemic. So the, the agreements 
and decisions that had to be made to make this possible were well underway before Pfizer and other companies started announcing that, okay, we're going to be ready any day now. Mm-hmm. Right. So they made a gamble. They made a, a, a bold decision. And I think, frankly, under the circumstances, it was the right one. And I hope that we see other studios kind of follow. And, I, you know, we talked about this before. I know people work at AMC. I know this is some people's jobs and livelihood. Until it is safe for everybody, it's just not a good idea. Sure. Sure. So now there's a little bit of bad news here, too. And, um, you know, every once in a while I gloat a little bit, and this might be one of those moments where I say, <laughs> yep, called it, because indeed, HBO Max has plans to end the free trial before Wonder Woman premieres on Christmas Day. So, In fact, they've already ended it. Oh, like you wow. Can't, you can't get it at all anymore. Oh, wow. And, and it was only a seven-day trial anyway, so... Like signing up today doesn't get me to Christmas, right. <laughs> so right. wouldn't have helped. So the question then is, are you willing to pay $15 for your household to see Wonder Woman? To me, that's a no-brainer. Absolutely, that's a no-brainer. Yeah, but it can be better than that because if you sign up for six months, then they'll let you get it for $12 a month, which is a pretty good deal. I don't think that's a good enough deal. It's not a good enough deal for me and my house. Because I don't think there's enough other stuff that they've currently got for these movies that will be coming out in that six-month window that I care enough about to, to even spend $12 a month for. Hmm. Okay. Well, what if Battlestar Galactica started shortly after you purchased your first month for Wonder Woman? Do we know when that's going to start? Battlestar Galactica is going to be on Peacock. What if... I can remember <laughs> what show is going to be on which service. <laughs> but this is like, also confusing. To, to, yeah, to go with where you were going there anyway. Is there yeah, anything? Like, like, is there yeah. something that could catch your attention? I don't know of anything that's specifically coming to HBO that, that would get my attention. There's just not that much from their properties that I care that much about, you know, because I'm not into all of the DC Comics type stuff that they have. Um, and most most of the stuff that's on HBO, like, you know, not in the Game of Thrones. I don't know. There's there's just not that much there that really piques my interest. I'm weird. I get it. Like for most people, yes, this makes sense. Go and spend the 70 bucks and get the next six months of HBO Max. But it's not it's not for this house. Okay. Fair yeah. enough. One service that I think probably is for this house, potentially is a new one announced in the last week, and that is Discovery Plus. So Discovery is launching their own streaming service. This is going to be very similar to things like like Peacock that we just mentioned and some of these other services that are, or maybe CBS All Access. You know, think think of the services that are from the major content studios, um, not just like Hulu and Netflix. Because it's still just their content. And you might be thinking, yeah, but I don't really care that much about Discovery. Well, there's a lot of channels that you probably do care about that get lumped under that Discovery umbrella. If you watch HGTV or Food Network or TLC or Investigation Discovery or OWN or Animal Planet, 
all of those are going to be included here. Now, it's not absolutely everything, and it's not it's not going to give you live access to shows that are happening right this second. It's not even going to give you access to shows like, uh, let's say, House Hunters. I assume House Hunters is still on. Uh, let's say there's a current season of House Hunters, and for some reason, that's a show that you really want to be watching like as soon as the episodes come out. I don't feel like most of this content really fits that description, but let's say you do. You're not going to be able to watch it that night. You're not even going to be able to watch it the next day. You're going to have to wait until the season is over for those shows to show up on Discovery Plus. Very similar to what we see on Netflix. Yeah, it is. But keep in mind that they, and this is where I think this gets really confusing for people because these Discovery already has apps for all of its major networks. Those individual apps, like the HGTV app, for example, which makes me log in like every two weeks. And so I hate it. But that does give you access to the shows that were just on yesterday. You have to watch them with ads, but they're available to you. And you have to be paying for a paid TV service. Oh, that's a really good point. Those come with some sort of paid TV service, which nowadays can include things like YouTube, YouTube TV and stuff like that. Right. If you want to pay $65 a month for YouTube yep. TV. Yep. Yep. Whereas this service is they're they're offering it in two tiers, $4.99 a month, which does include ads, or for $6.99 a month, you can get it without ads. So I'm gonna end up subscribing to this and I'm gonna end up subscribing to the $4.99 model. And then every few weeks for the next six months. We'll get messages from Captain Lawn Paul about how I'm subscribing to the wrong tier of service. Yeah, you are. <laughs> like I do Hulu. Their ads are, <laughs> if their ads on this are anything like they are on their network apps, they're horrifically repetitive. Okay. You will see. I will keep that in mind. Like this, there might be an eight ad break and you'll see one of those ads three times in that break. Ooh, that's bad. All the time. Okay. Well, that might change my mind. But I, I do think this is a service that, that could get pretty popular because how many people, like their primary use case for their cable TV is putting on House Hunters in the background. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yep. 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 I totally understand. Totally understand. So, so stop paying $70, $80, $90 a month for cable and, and just get Discovery Plus for $7 a month and you'll get your House Hunters, you'll get your you know, uh, the two brothers doing real estate flipping, uh, whatever that show is called. Property um, Brothers. Property Brothers, right? <laughs> Probably should have figured that out. Uh, you'll get your Food Network shows. And I bet this app will work on my NVIDIA Shield, unlike Hulu. So, you know, like my wife, she wants to watch, um, man, I can't remember the names of any shows anymore, uh, but the one of those cooking challenge shows right. on Food Network. She she loves watching that show, but since Hulu isn't working well on my shield, she doesn't really watch it much. So this could end up being one that we sign up for when it launches January 4th. Have they talked at all about the platforms they'll support? They haven't given specifics. They've just said basically like all of the major ones. <laughs> well, I mean, the reason I ask is that I hope we don't end up in another situation like we have, for example, with ad-supported content on uh, on Peacock, mm-hmm. where they can't come to an agreement 
with Amazon because, you know, money. Right. Yeah. And and maybe that's why they haven't officially announced the list of devices they're going to support. But yeah, you would certainly hope they end up on Amazon Fire TV, Roku, Apple TV, uh, Android TV, all video game consoles. And I'm I'm sure they'll be on iOS and Android. But you want to watch this stuff on your TV, not on your phone. Yep. All right, going back to Chromecast real quick for our last video story of the week. And Chromecast, they're they're really working hard on this Google TV interface to make it do an even better job of suggesting the content you want to watch. And so to aid in that, they're slowly rolling out a new feature for people uh, where you'll be able to go into settings and then a new option called content preferences. And what they're going to do is just show you uh, shows and movies that they think you might like and then present you with two options. Would you like more things like this or would you like less things like this? And who knows how many things they're going to throw at you to get you to thumbs up or thumbs down, basically, on all of this stuff. But it could do a really great job of really keying in on the types of things that you want to watch. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of surprised that this isn't just baked in. Well, it's coming to everybody soon. But so what do you mean by baked in? Like but maybe you're on saying the initial you have launch to go into You have to go into your content preferences and then and then like do that. I don't understand. Like why isn't this just part of the natural interface experience already? Are you going to have to I guess what I'm asking is are you going to have to enable this? Cuz it it the way this was described it sounded like it wasn't going to be on by default or isn't on by default. Well, I mean, you kind of have to think of this as like um, a special feature within the Google TV app or something like that, where, I mean, the this reminds me a lot of the interface that you get when you're first setting up a TiVo Stream 4K, and they're throwing all of these different shows and movies at you and saying, do you like this? Do you like this? Do you like this? Do you remember that setup experience? Oh, I do. I hated it. You hated it, right. And you hated it because probably because it was blocking you from getting to use the thing right. the first time. Right. So instead of forcing you to go through this on initial setup, you can just go and do this whenever you want. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It won't be super discoverable, at least not the way that it's currently implemented, but maybe they'll do pop-ups and stuff to recommend. Maybe you go do this right now. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is good. I mean, better recommendations are good. and. That's what these discovery engines are trying to accomplish. So I, I just hope it's implemented in a way that makes sense. That you know, right. Okay, let's move on to audio. And the first audio story, actually the first two audio stories, are Apple stories, believe it or not. Apple has unveiled what has very quickly become a very controversial set of new headphones called the AirPods Max. It is essentially the AirPods Pro packaged in an over-the-ear noise-canceling format. So think normal over-ear headphones, but with all of the goodness that we've talked about in the past that AirPods Pro offer. That includes noise cancellation, Siri without having to touch anything, just calling her by name, 
that spatial audio thing where what you're watching will be oriented based on where your head is in relation to the thing that you're looking at on the screen. I heard somebody talking about that and they said, that's phenomenal, by the way. I'm, I'm really eager to try that at some point. The difference here basically is that it's designed to be like normal headphones. It has a very Apple design aesthetic. Mm -hmm. These look so Apple. They look like they came out of that big white room. I almost expect to see a special appearance from Johnny Ive talking about the chamfered edges of <laughs> the band across the top and everything. I mean, they, they are a piece of art. It's not my particular style. And I don't know if you saw anything about this or not, but do you know if they come in anything but this very, 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 very light gray white color? Yeah, there's like five colors. They've oh, got okay. silver, they've got space gray, they've got a blue, and they've got a pink. Maybe they don't have blue. I think they just have green and pink. So it's four or five colors. Okay. All right. Well, that's good. I couldn't find anything about that. So every, everything that I saw today was showing the white version. I'm thinking, okay, well, that's going to, that's going to, you know, this is generalizing and I apologize if I offend anyone. That's going to hit a very female demographic. I just didn't see that as mm. something that a lot of guys are going to buy. So I'm glad they're coming in some more options. Um, you know, it has, again, all of the stuff that you would expect from an Apple design. They're using an actual button, none of this touch gesture stuff that I've really hated on headphones in the past. It's using a physical button and like a rotating dial kind of thing, very much like the crown that you might have on an Apple Watch. So I think they've really spent a lot of time trying to hone the experience on this. Hopefully they sound great. We don't know yet. Here's the thing. How much would you pay for all this? Because, <laughs> I mean, AirPods Pro, I think, are like close to $300. I was thinking they were $250, but maybe okay, they're $300. Okay, $250. Yeah. That's still a lot for in-ear mm, earbuds, I, I think. I think $250 for, for in-ear buds that are like really good and have active noise cancellation. It's not... It's not a, a, a crazy price. It's on the higher end, and Apple stuff is always on the higher end of the price spectrum, but right. you're normally getting something good for your money. Yep. So even if they were 300 my thought with this, like when I first saw the picture, hadn't clicked in or anything, my thought was, I bet these are going to be 400 maybe 450 bucks because the competing products from like Bose and Sony are like three to 350 typically. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be more, right. but it's not going to be like way, way more. And right. I was wrong. You were wrong. My B&O headphones that I had for a while were $500. These are more. These are $550, $549-ish. Holy crap. Yeah. Now, what do you get with that? Well, you get a, a lovely carrying case that ultimately ends up making your headphones look like a purse. Oh my and, gosh. Or uh, that case kind of makes it look like a bra. Like that was the first <laughs> thing I thought of. I mean, it's just, it's so strange. It's, it's so weird. So strange. That's going to be concealed or not used by many people. 
and um, it, it charges over USB-C to Lightning, which is, I guess, pretty common for what we're seeing out of Apple these days. Why not just make it all USB-C? Make it USB-C on both ends. Yeah, because pretty much everything except for their pro stuff is and, and computers is still Lightning. They're still using Lightning on the charge cases for AirPods. They're still using Lightning on phones. They're even still using Lightning, if I understand correctly, on the iPad Air. I believe. No, iPad Air is now They USB-C. did go to USB-C? Yeah. Good. Okay, I'm glad to see that. But yeah, it, this is, yeah, this is not, this is still lightning. Oh, what, <laughs> doesn't it come with a charging block? Like a, you know, a thing to actually charge with, to plug your USB-C cable into. And if it were standard USB, I might be more likely to forgive that, but it, it's not. It's USB-C, which is far less common in chargers. Right, right. It also doesn't come with a headphone cable. Like every other pair of, of Bluetooth uh, headphones, that, you know, especially these big kind of cans that I've seen, come with a headphone cable. What do you need that for nowadays? If your batteries die or if you want to plug into like the... If your um, batteries die and it's using a lightning con- connection, I doubt... That would even work. Oh, that's true. Um, or if you want to plug into the airplane, or you want to plug into a friend's device real quick without having to pair Bluetooth and all of that craziness. Mm. Like maybe you've maybe you're like me and you've got a phone and a tablet and a computer, and you want to plug in your headphones to all of these things, but just occasionally sometimes, that's when the headphone cable comes in handy. Okay. And you can get a headphone cable for $35. Yeah, that's very Apple. That's very so Apple. Apple. I, I don't know who buys this. Um, a lot of people will will buy it. I you you have to imagine that a lot of the people that I follow on Twitter are Apple fans, and I will say I didn't see anybody loving this. Well, that's not true. There was basically one influencer I follow who was excited about it. And pretty much everyone else was like five fifty, and <laughs> it doesn't have a charger. Right. Beta News is a site that I follow a lot, but they also tend to have headlines that annoy me. This this one didn't annoy me. I liked it. Their their headline for this story was Apple AirPods Max are wireless headphones for rich people that don't value money. <laughs> I mean. Uh, Isn't yeah. that redundant? It, I don't know. I don't think so. I think most rich people do value money. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> probably how they got rich. Yeah. Hey, all right. Good <laughs> At point. Least part of it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I just, I don't get this. Like, go, yes, I know there's some cool fancy software stuff going on there, but is it going to make it $200 better than the the Sony active noise canceling headphones or the Bose headphones? Like, those are the two to beat. And and they're t- both typically like you can find them on sale fairly frequently for like two fifty. Are these three hundred dollars better than those? I I doubt it. I really doubt it. Yeah, I have a hard time seeing that. Yeah, 
right. Well, I think this Apple story will actually make, well, a lot more people happy. I don't know if it's going to make you that happy because you don't have very many. Will it? Okay. So you are primarily an, an Amazon smart speaker guy. But for those of you out there who are in the Apple ecosystem, but prefer Google's slash Nest smart speakers, good news, Apple Music coming to uh, all of those Google slash Nest devices. So if you've got anything, any speaker or smart display that has the word Google or Nest because they keep changing the names of all of these (laughs) things, Apple Music will now work on those. So that, of course, includes artist tracks, playlist. You're just going to be able to say, hey, G, play this. And you can either say, play this on Apple Music or you can set up Apple Music as your default music player, and then it's just, hey, G, play Taylor Swift, and it'll play it on Apple Music. Some people were like, oh, does this mean AirPlay also? No, it doesn't mean AirPlay. You're not AirPlaying to your your Nest display. That's not happening. You're getting Apple Music, though, and that's great news. Yeah, no, that is great news. And we had a suspicion that this was coming because I think there was a short period of time where selecting Apple Music as your preferred music source was captured on the settings screen in Google Home that never really came out to a wide audience. So perhaps they were just beta testing this, but now it's available. I like it because now when I go to bed, I can tell my Nest Hub to play some music and it's not going to end up trying to play something from YouTube since I don't have YouTube music as a mm-hmm. service. So it, it, I used to do that. I used to say, oh, you know, play some, I don't know, whatever, play some Hans Zimmer music. Probably not so good to get to sleep to, but play some music and it would start playing videos. I'm like, I'm trying to go to sleep. <laughs> well, you are asking a smart display. So that's not like p- playing a music video is generally a good experience yeah. on a smart display well now it'll work the way i want it to so i'm yeah. very happy about that yeah that's good news all right next audio story is an update from sonos so sonos has been as part of their s2 rollout their their second generation system rollout they have been adding more and more support for home theater configurations and their latest which kind of, I think, comes as a surprise to everybody, is that you're going to be able to have two subwoofers working together, which if you've listened to any of the shows and discussions that we've had with Rob H. about setting up your home theater is the way to set up a home theater. Right, right. And I want to clarify a little bit about this because we're going to link to the Engadget post that they talked about, you know, what's required and all of that. But their article says, if you want more bass, do this. That's not exactly what's happening when you add a second subwoofer. What you're actually doing by adding a second subwoofer to your room is balancing it out so that you're getting good bass in more places. Because the way bass travels, it's very very big sound waves and stuff. So if you only have one, if you only have one subwoofer, you kind of have to put it in a place that optimizes one seat in your home theater 
for it to be really, really good. Like for you to be able to feel that bass hidden because you're not going to feel it everywhere. But if you have two or even better, four, then you can distribute that bass all over the place so that everybody gets to hear and feel that bass the way it's meant to be heard and felt. Right. And so it's awesome. It is great. It is great. I'm, I'm glad to see this. There are some restrictions. Obviously, you have to have something other than just a Sonos subwoofer. You would have to have some other speaker involved, either individual speakers or maybe something like a play bar or a beam or an arc home theater speaker. Those will all work in coordination with this. The one stipulation that's a little bit weird is that at least one of the subs has to be the third generation of the sub. So presumably there's something in the way that they've set this up that uses that kind of as the bridge to work with an older sub. But I'm, I mean, I think this is a really cool advancement in their support for home theater, which is a long time coming, but what they've done over the last year or so is pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah. The other real quick thing that I wanted to say about having two subs is the other uh, really common reason for having two is if you have an oddly shaped room or just a really big room or something like that, because if you want it to fill up the whole space because of the way those waves are moving around, you might need a second one for either of those reasons, especially with these like big open concept rooms and stuff like that. So lots of reasons to go and get a second Sono sub. And if you're if the CFO of your house doesn't agree, tell him to DM me and or or Robbie. <laughs> She'll make an even better case for it. <laughs> sure. Send everybody's significant other over to Rob to deal with. I like it. Seems like a safe button. <laughs> All right. So last audio story, real quick one here. Spotify for Android looks like it's going to be getting the ability to play music that is stored on your local device. So regularly with these streaming services, we talk about how you might have music that just isn't available on any streaming service because of licensing restrictions and stuff like that. And so you want to be able to listen to everything on the streaming service and your own collection of stuff. And Spotify will let you do that from the desktop app, but not from any of the mobile apps. So. Uh, Someone did tweet, though, a photo, a screenshot that was the Spotify app on Android with an option for enabling a local music library. And I mean, because it's just a tiny screenshot of, of a setting screen that says, show all audio files on your device in your library, we have no idea how that would work. You know, do you do you get to pick? what folders or what files show up. We don't know. We have no idea how any of that works, but it does look like it's going to be coming soon to Android devices, assuming the testing goes well. So that's great news for for those of you who really, really care and feel passionately about your own personal music collection. All right, we've got a gaming story, just one. I know that's going to please a lot of you. it's been a dead week for gaming news. And that's mostly because on Thursday this week is the Video Game Awards. And 
like video game awards have turned into the last major event of the year where huge announcements happen. And obviously we get E3 in the summer, we get um, Gamescom in August, and then TGS in either late August or early September. Those are the three huge shows. But then in December, we, we often get, you know, big, huge game announcements for the next year. So I fully expect that this Thursday, when the Video Game Awards airs, we're going to get some pretty major game announcements from Microsoft, from Sony, from, from lots of the big, big studios out there. But one story to talk about this week, and that is Google Stadia. That's their, ga- their cloud game streaming service is finally, you know, I don't like to use that word, but finally rolling out a feature that they've been talking about since they first announced Stadia more than a year ago, because they launched a year ago. And that is the ability to do direct to YouTube streaming right from within the, the Stadia app. It's here. It's, it's finally rolling out. Uh, it's only available if you're playing through the web browser. Doesn't work if you're using a Chromecast Ultra. It doesn't work if you're playing on Android yet. It's only if you're doing it in a web browser. There are some nice features here. You can set it up to display the viewer count on your screen so that you can at least see how many people are watching you play. But you can't see the chat. If you want to be watching the chat room while you're playing, you're going to have to use a separate device for that. They've also got some complicated options on setting up what audio you're actually sending to YouTube, whether it's like just the game audio, just your chat, a combination of the two. If you're playing with other people in a party, are you sending their audio also? It's all kind of complicated. The just the the drop-down box options I think are worded weird to make it really hard to understand what what option you should pick. And then there's the big problem with a lot of games use licensed music. And if you post those videos on YouTube, a lot of times they'll get pulled down because they're using licensed music. So lots of stuff for you to figure out there if you do want to be streaming to YouTube, but it's available now to everybody if you want to check this out. All right, so that's it for our gaming news and all of the news. I I want to ask everybody, if you're listening, you like the show, please share it with your friends. And thanks to everybody who's been doing that. We've been asking uh, people to be doing that for a a few episodes now. And some of you have been doing it pretty regularly and we really appreciate it. Thank you for doing that. Uh, And and hopefully if you're out there listening and you haven't done that before, take a quick screenshot, post it on Twitter or Facebook or, you know, your social network of choice and, and get some, get some more people joining this community here. So Richard, what is going on in your entertainment center? Surprisingly little for me, but I've been keeping up with the usual shows, the Amazon, the Amazon, the amazing race. I don't think they were in the Amazon this year. Star Trek Discovery, which is continuing to be very good. The Mandalorian, which I'm thoroughly enjoying. Watched a little more of Fargo. I'm behind on that. We watched a couple more episodes of Schitt's Creek. Shameless final season, season 11, started just this past weekend. And unlike HBO, which puts their content on streaming either the day of or the day after it premieres, depending on the content. Shameless, shameless, Showtime actually puts their content on streaming the day of or the day before. If it's like a big title, you may remember you used to be able to watch episodes of 
Homeland prior to them being available to view on regular Showtime TV. So I, I love this about Showtime, and I'm happy to see that they're continuing to do this with other shows. Shameless is another show that's trying to deal with life in a pandemic world. They are uh, doing about as good a job as everybody else is doing, unfortunately. Someone who wrote in a couple of weeks ago mentioned among the shows that we've talked about in the past here, Kim's Convenience. And while I appreciate the nod, I don't think it was either you or me talking about that show. I don't think, I know I haven't watched it before. I don't know if you've watched it before, Josh, but Mm -hmm. I started watching it and it is hysterical. It's really, really good. It centers around a Korean family that lives in Toronto and runs a convenience store. And watching it as a non-Korean person, I could easily fall into the trap of thinking, wow, this is really kind of stereotypical or racist even. But in reading a bunch of reviews about it, most of what I've read has said that this is exactly the opposite, that this is a really good, funny representation of a Korean family and the community around them. And I'm glad to hear that because I'm enjoying it and I don't want to feel guilty about it. (laughs) Right. What's it on? It is on Netflix. Oh, it's a comedy. You're not going to like it. You never know. Might be willing to give it a try. Maybe, maybe. I mentioned that we were going to start watching a story arc in Doctor Who. So we started watching the uh, story arc of character named River Song. And it's a very complicated story arc that you have to watch in a particular order. We started that and it is so, so good. And I, I am so grateful for finding the listing that I did about how to watch this in the right order so that you catch the proper progression of the storyline in a way that you would not have necessarily caught if you watched the episodes in airing order. I will try to make the link for that information available to people, but just a warning, spoilers everywhere. So I wouldn't suggest doing this unless you've already watched the episodes if you want to watch the full series, because it will be all kinds of spoilers, even discussion about what to watch has spoilers in it. And then finally, as a big fan of all things Iceland, there was a new special on the Smithsonian Channel called Iceland's Fire and Ice, which is a pretty common theme in Iceland, often known as the Island of Fire and Ice. And it was a very good kind of updated telling of all of the natural forces that make Iceland as amazing as it is. So that's something that might be interesting to catch if anybody has Smithsonian and is interested in learning more about the beautiful land that is Iceland that I can't wait to get back to someday. (laughs) Once they let us there. Exactly. Let us back in. (laughs) Exactly. So that's it for me, Josh. How about you? What have you been doing in your entertainment center? Well, I haven't been watching any TV or any movies. None of that. Uh, I've been playing a fair amount of Call of Duty, doing, I feel like I'm doing better. Like, I feel like I'm almost starting to get good at Call of Duty. <laughs> it's only taken me like 15 years, but 
I'm getting there and I'm really enjoying it. It's been nice. Um, I've also been, I, I mentioned last week, I had started Tower of Dawn, uh, the second to last book in the Throne of Glass series. I'm now about halfway through that audiobook. It's good. Uh, it's if you're into that Throne of Glass series and you're starting to work your way through and you're like, I don't want to read this book. It's just kind of backstory or whatever on one of these characters. And I don't even like that character. Read it. It's good. It is good. It's, it's worth reading. Um, and it, it's a pretty quick read. So there's that. And then the other thing I wanted to mention was you, you all know I'm a huge Spotify fan. And of course, Spotify did uh, their did. They're big, I don't remember what they call it now, but they're a big yearly review of here's what you've been listening to on Spotify. And I love that. It's a fun thing to share with your friends and your family. Kind of produced a little bit of an awkward conversation in my house this year when the number one album that I listen to is an album called Songs to Break Up To. (laughs) I had to have a little bit of a conversation with Jen about that one. But... <laughs> but yeah, so that that's a lot of fun. And but that's not actually what I want to talk about. So Spotify has this thing now. I don't know if it's new, but it just kind of showed up for me in the last couple of days called Spotify on record. And the idea is really cool. So it gives you this playlist of songs that you probably like, or at least songs that you've listened to a lot, or artists that you've listened to a lot, and it'll play that song. And then the next thing in the playlist will basically be a podcast that's about that song, or at least that's what it looks like it is. And I'm like, I love this idea. Like my favorite thing about going to concerts is hearing the artist talk about why they wrote the song or what the song's actually about and, and all that sort of fun stuff. So I was like, this is perfect. This is right up my alley. I tried listening to it today and it sucked. It wasn't good at all. Hmm. Um, I I think, I don't know, it doesn't really matter who the artist was, but it, it would play the song and then it would get to the, the podcast thing and it's just an entire podcast episode. So like, I think one of them was a Taylor Swift song and it gets into this podcast episode and it's a 58 minute podcast episode. I, I don't know that I want to listen to a 58 minute podcast episode. Like about one song. Right. Maybe like a 10-minute interview uh, with with the artist or something, but that doesn't seem to be what it is. It doesn't tell you the name of the series, like uh, what that podcast is. It just gives you the episode title. The podcast player interface in Spotify, at least on the Windows desktop, sucks. Like it gives you playback speed controls, (laughs) but there's not like 30-second skip and stuff like that. So where I would like to... You know, if they're going to make me listen to a whole episode, I want to be able to 30 seconds get past their five minutes of their four co-hosts all bantering about stupid crap and making bad puns about the artist songs. Like, get me to the content. And it it just wasn't good. So I gave up on the Spotify on record. But if anybody knows of anything similar to that idea, but actually done well, I would love to hear about it because that is <laughs> right up my alley. But that is. That's it for me. Uh, not not really a whole lot because it was it was a bad week. I had a lot going on this week. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of sleep. Not a lot of watching TV and stuff like that. So that was my week, and that's it for the show. 
So if you want to get a hold of us, we're all over the place. We're on Twitter at Richard Gunther, at Josh Pollard, at DigiMediaZone on Twitter and Instagram. We're on Facebook and we've got the email address and all that stuff. Go over to the digitalmediazone.com. In the show notes, we've got every possible way that you could get a hold of us really easily laid out there. And while you're over there at the website, check out our other podcast. It's from Richard. It's called Home On, where they cover the latest smart home uh, technology from the DIY perspective. Richard, what's going on with the latest Home On? So next up, we have our guest host, Marlon Buchanan. He's an author and the blogger behind Home Tech Hacker. We had a great conversation about gift recommendations and not just product recommendations, but some things that you should think about before giving someone a smart home gift. Then, of course, after that, we have our annual Tech FM Fireside Chat. So expect the first of those in the next couple of days and the Fireside Chat in about a week or two. Awesome. Looking forward to them. All right. Well, that's going to do it for episode 543. He's Richard Gunther and I'm Josh Pollard. Thanks for listening to Entertainment 2.0. Adios. Goodbye.